Chelsea Brennan, welcome to the PitchCast. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So you run Smart Money Mamas, and I confess, I listened to your story on Journey to Launch a few years ago and just was really blown away, intrigued, inspired, all of the things. It's Thank a really you. cool story. I'm sure others out there have heard it, but for listeners who haven't, do you mind starting from the beginning and telling us a little bit about how you got from your hedge fund world to where you are today? Absolutely. So first of all, Jamila is amazing. And over at Journey to Launch, I had such a great conversation with her. She and I are close. But so my story starts way back um, when I was a kid. And so I was always really interested in how money worked in the world. Um, I was a kid who was reading economics and stock books when I was 13. And I just I really wanted to understand how people built wealth. It was something that was very intriguing to me. And so when I got to college, um, I also had this side of me that really loves to teach and interact with individuals and wanted to have some kind of impact. And so I had to make a decision between going the Wall Street route um, or becoming a teacher. And it was a really difficult decision. And what I ended up kind of coming to, and this is just how my brain worked at the time, was if I could make some money early in my career, I'd have more choices when I was older, right? And so I hadn't been introduced really to the concept of financial independence at that point, but I knew that I could kind of build a nest egg early on. And so I went the Wall Street route. Um, I worked in equity research in New York for about three and a half years. And then I moved on to a hedge fund in Boston, uh, where I it's where I made VP and where I took over my own portfolio. And by the end of my career there, by my end of my time there, I was managing over a billion dollars um, for a distressed debt fund. And so, which is really cool. And I tell people all the time, like there are parts of that job that I loved. It was intellectually stimulating. I got to really understand these niche businesses and how they came to be. Um, and take companies through bankruptcy is just a fascinating experience. And we won't d dive too deep into that, but it was just a very cool thing. But I was away from my family a lot. Um, as soon as we had our first child, it was very evident how much I wasn't home. Um, I was gone before he woke up in the morning and I got back in time to put him to sleep. Basically, I, I hung out with him for 10 minutes, read him a book and put him to bed. Mm -hmm. And that was just not sustainable uh, for me. And so we started to explore other options. I looked into a lot of different entrepreneurial options. I got minutes away from going to be the CEO of a startup in the healthcare space and walked away from that just because of some like concerns about the business model um, and how they were thinking about some compliance issues that made me a little nervous. And so I walked mm. away and it was like two days later that we had a snow day. So we like were told not to go into the office. Boston can get some crazy snow. And I said to my husband, I'm like, you know, I've had this idea in the back of my head since college that we used to, I jokingly in college called it build me a budget. Whereas like if you could have a Weight Watchers for your money where you had somebody you talk to and somebody who can give you some yeah. guidance. And so I've had this idea forever. I've been in this mom's group of over 200 women who had their first baby in the same month that I had my first baby. And I'd become their go-to person for money questions. And I was like, I'm just going to sit down and answer some of their questions as an article. And so we started the blog that day. I published my first blog post that day. And then for 30 days, I answered somebody's question every day. I wrote a post every day. That's incredible. Uh, which was a lot of work. And so people mm -hmm. are always like, how did you, you know, how did you make time for that with your career and with the baby? And it's like, the baby went to bed, right? I got home and put him to bed mm -hmm. and then I'd, I'd read a post or whatever. And then on the weekends, I'd write when he napped and I really fell in love with it. And we started to see, you know, these, these wins from moms who made it not necessarily the how to budget conversation, because let's be honest, budgeting is simple math. Like we all understand mm -hmm. <laughs> spend less than you make, mm -hmm. uh, but there's an emotional component to it and a mindset component to it. That's really important that people weren't talking about in a way that really understood you know, motherhood and parenthood and things like that. And so we got into it. I got pregnant with my second child. 
um, we started to grow that business and I just really started to pull away from my job in a sense that I had a difficult health pregnancy. I was really loving what I was doing at Mama's Talk Money, which was, or um, Mama Fish Saves, which is the original name of the blog. We rebranded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, at 32 weeks, pregnant with my second, my water broke. And I ended Ooh, up in the hospital. Early. It's eight weeks early. Yeah. For those of you who are parents, it's eight yeah. weeks early. Uh, and so we get to the hospital. We have this doctor comes in who's like, you've had a baby before. You're going to go into labor in the next 72 hours. He toured us through the NICU. Um, and mm. I said to my husband, I can't do this anymore. I was still getting questions from work. Um, we'd been preparing for financial independence for years at that point. We weren't yet there. But mm-hmm. We reached Coast Fi. And mm-hmm. we looked and said, like, hey, it was December. And I was like, hey, I bet if I called my company. And so they had told us in the past, like, listen, if you're ever going to not come back after maternity leave, just tell us. Like, we'll pay you through maternity leave. Like, we just need to That's great. We just need to know. So I said, like, I bet if I went and reached out to them and said, I'm having this health issue, I got to go. I'm going to have to recover after this this pregnancy. I bet they'll pay me my bonus and whatever. And so, because it was December and that was a big concern, right? Because in that industry, two-thirds of your income is your bonus. And so I called them. And they said, yeah, like, that's fine. We totally understand. And so they gave us more runway. And so we knew we had two years in cash and we were close by. And so I was like, let's see if I can make this business work. And we said, if it wasn't showing signs of working in a year, I'd start to look for other finance jobs. And if it was showing signs of working, we'd take that other year of runway to keep scaling. And so that's what we did. I, I quit from my hospital bed. I signed the paperwork. Um, my water did this thing that for those of you who are parents will be shocked. Other won't make sense to other of you, but my water resealed, which is this thing that happens basically never. Um, I've never heard of that. <laughs> uh, never yeah, heard of that. I was, so I was in um, a very famous hospital in Boston that is like the NICU center of the world. And they were like, we see this super rarely. Uh, so I carried to 39 weeks. My baby was born full term. That's incredible. Um, he was healthy. And we just took Smart Money Mamas full time from that day on. So it was fantastic. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I got distracted with your water resealing. Like I've never heard of Super weird. It's super weird. Never heard of that before. That is crazy. So today, how is, what does the makeup of your income flow look like? Do you feel like you've replaced your income or as you've done so as much as you wanted to? Like, what does that success look like for you today? And then of course, I want to hear about like, which of these resources is really helpful. I know they all are, but most helpful for people getting started or, or jumping in, like what's out there that you'd be like, you've got to get into this program or I'd send you to this resource. So that was a double barreled question. So have fun. Um, so <laughs> I would say, so we're doing well. Um, I wouldn't say we've replaced my income, and I don't know Your if that was fun ever, ever the yeah. goal. I don't know that was not the goal. Um, it'd be nice, but we're not You're there. Right. And so a few things. So we've been full-time with this for four years now. Um, I had very bad postpartum depression after my first and my second. And so that, thank you, it is hard. And so that first kind of year was keeping our heads above water. And then that second year was really... And so we gave ourselves that other year. We weren't quite where we wanted to be at the end of the first year with that runway, but we were like, you know what? Like you didn't get to do what you wanted to do with it. And so we spent the second year figuring out, okay, what do we really want to do with this? And so we're a little bit off base with where I thought I would have been, um, but we're in a good place. And so we have two main sources of income. The primary is what we call our Motivated Mama Society. That's our monthly membership community. And that has an in-depth foundations course that takes people through healing your money mindset setting meaningful goals, and then how to create the wealth building engine that gets you to those goals. And so, um, and it's really unique in a way that there's not do this specific thing. It empowers you to find the system that works for your personality, because I don't believe there's like 
one best budgeting app or one best way to do things. It's it's generally what are your goals and, and how do you work and how does your brain work? And so that's our, our main source. And then our second that is is close is our emergency binder. So our first ever product we launched um, on the site was eight months after I left my job. It was the family emergency binder, which came about, it was originally something I created for my husband and I when I was pregnant with our first. Uh, he's a stay-at-home dad. Um, he was in construction and he was a yacht captain before, but he's not a finance guy, right? And so I have always managed our money. And I was sitting in the nurse's office, you have to go get a physical, right, for your for your life insurance exam. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, what if something happens to me? He will have no idea, right? No idea. And not even that, he's going to be handed the biggest check he's ever seen in his life, right? <laughs> and totally terrified. And so the first thing that I wrote, the first page I wrote was like step by step. It was like very simple five steps. Here's what to do when you get this life insurance check. Like first things first, high yield savings account for six months. I don't want you to touch it until you're a little bit out of the grief, right? Here's like do this, here's where our emergency fund is, all those kind of things. And it grew into all our account numbers and our logins. And then we started developing the system where one month a year, we do what's called our financial fire drill and I step out and he manages everything. So he uses the binder, he goes through, he updates our budget, he pays our bills. And if anything, he gets stuck, we know where we need to update the binder. And so we turned this into a fillable product. We launched it and it was fantastic. Um, it's done really well for us. We've helped, um, I think at this point, over 18,000 families um, get this set up. That's incredible. Did you say 18,000 families? Yeah. Wow. And it was actually on Netflix's show Dead to Me uh, in oh season two, which was amazing. I got this email from the production team about wanting to talk to me about using the binder and I totally thought it was spam, right? Like I was like, yeah, oh, I would have too. Like, mm -hmm. but um, my right hand at Smart Money Mamas, uh, she started her career as a production assistant in Hollywood. And so I sent it to her and she's like, no, this is 100% legit. Call them back. And so I called them back and they were like, we normally would draft something up like this as a prop. We would just make it ourselves. But somebody who works on the prop team for Dead to Me has purchased your binder in the past and is like, hey, this actually exists. And so it was really cool. There's like two shots of it in season two, but That's one of them, wild. they like zoom in and it's a crux, uh, a crux point of season two. So that was really fun. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And so those two things. And so Product placement for oh, free. Product placement. It was so cool. It was so cool. And it was also a show I'd already watched too, which was the fun part. And I got to see like the script of where it was going to be beforehand. And that was all fun. Um, but, and so that product has done really well. We actually spun it out onto its own site in January of this year because our audience at Smart Money Moms is primarily moms. Our audience for the binder is pretty 50-50. And so we wanted a place that like, um, that anyone could access it. And it's also something we've talked about like, whether you don't have young kids, like we have a version if you don't have kids or if you have grown kids, um, if you're a single person, it's actually even more important, right? Because there is nobody that knows how you manage your system, right? And so we wanted to make it more widely accessible. And so now it, that sits on emergencybinders.com. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I confess, so I've always managed the money too in our household just because it's of interest to me. And that's it. I'm not a former hedge fund manager. But. You don't need to be. <laughs> All I'm, all he's got is me, so he has to yeah. deal with it. Um, so, but and I occasionally I'm like, this is where the accounts are. Like, I have like a word document. It's the most immature, like not, you know, it's just not going to cut it if I actually do 
bite it, you know? Like, so I don't know. Like, that, I think that is so, so needed. And it does scare me. I'm like, I, I'll be like, this is where the accounts are. This is everything. But I don't know. I don't know if he's paying attention, you know? Or I move the Word document. You move it, uh, your computer, like, is it backed up somewhere? Does he know how to access if it's backed up? And there's things that, like, we have to process. Maybe in a best case scenario, he could figure it out, right? But if something happens to you, whether you're sick, whether you're temporarily incapacitated, whether you do pass away, he's not going to be in the best state of mind, right? And if it's not him, if it, if it you know, God forbid, has to be another family member that steps in, they really need that, that handhold. And so we talk about it all the time is this true act of love for your family and especially for your kids if you do have young kids, right? Because you want to create as much stability for them as possible, which is why the part for parents, um, the version for parents has things like, what are your kids' favorite foods? What are your family's holiday traditions? So that if someone else has to step up and be their guardian, they can try to give them a little bit of, you know, reminders and stability and tradition at home. And so um, it is something, unfortunately, it means that we hear a lot of people's horror stories because they tend to come to us when something bad has happened. And some of them are hilarious. Like there's this guy who was the, the first month we bought the binder. He was like, my father-in-law just died. He has told everybody forever that all the information is in the safe. It's in the safe. It's in the safe. It's in the safe. He never told anybody the code to the safe. Stop <laughs> so, it. Um, <laughs> he's like, we ripped the office apart. It's a built into the house safe. No, it is like, not. I'm Googling how to crack this safe. And he's like, I'm not on some FBI watch list at this point. And then they didn't want to drill the safe out because then you damage the safe. And it's built into the house that they now want to sell. And so they ultimately did have to drill into it and find the paperwork. But he was like, I'm sure. How else would you get it open? No one thought to ask. You know, they had to call a, a professional. How do I get it? Okay, well, I'm glad it's in the safe. How do I get into the safe? Um, and so some, and then some things are just, just awful. We had um, a woman who wrote in, a young woman. She was 18 and a half. Her father passed away um, right after she turned 18. He had named her and her younger sister as beneficiaries on everything. And typically, if she was under 18, that would have been put into the hands of the state with a conservator that would help her manage that. She's 18. It's all on her. Um, and while her mother was still living, they were divorced and her mom wasn't on any of the paperwork. And so no one wanted to talk to her mom. And so she had to deal with her father's whole estate basically by herself. Um, and so these are the things that like they're horrible to hear, but we're so glad to have this product that can remove some of that heartache for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was going to ask you about Will's and trust later, but this feels like a fitting time. So where do you start? Like if, if you are talking to somebody who will just use me because you are talking to me, um, frugal, have a family far, like we, we've met coast Fi. um, what else? That's about it. So where would you say we should start? I don't love the idea of having to spend a ton of time on it. I don't want to go find a lawyer and sit with them in person. Don't want to chat. What, um, <laughs> Am I your normal um, customer? Where do we start? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the first place you want to start is is with a will. And so a trust can be a really great option. And if you're someone who's close by and pursuing FI with, with a significant amount of assets, and by significant amount of assets, I mean a net worth of over $500,000, excluding your home, right? Um, you really want to start to think about a trust because you don't want your kids to be handed massive amounts of money. Um, and you also want to be in a situation where if your kids are young, and do you have kids, Christina? Sorry. Yeah, we do. We have two kids. I should have mentioned that. <laughs> um, if you have minor children, and that money ends up so if you name it to them, which naming your kids as beneficiaries is, is a nightmare, right? As we talked about with the girl who just turned 18, and if it ends up in conservatorship with the state, 
um, your, whoever's your child's guardian has to present every single receipt for reimbursement. And the, it's, it's a expensive headache of a process. But if you end up, so what some parents do to get around that, because they don't want to talk to people and they don't want it to take too long. They're like, I'll just name my kid's guardian as the primary beneficiary. No matter how much you trust those people, money makes people do crazy things. Um, and not everybody manages money well. And so there are some, so you really want to make sure that if you have a significant amount of assets that would last beyond caring for your children in those minor years, which you know, that big number, you're going to want to set up some kind of trust and you're going to want to make sure that there's stipulations that you get to say, this is where I want my money to go and when. You can do trusts online. Um, trust and will is my favorite resource to do that. Um, the thing with trusts is I think that there's a place, uh, an important place where trusts with a lawyer, as much as it's going to be more expensive and more time consuming, it's worth it, right? Because if you don't do that, a will goes through probate, first of all. So it will go through probate, which you're going to have all those expenses, which I guarantee you will be more expensive than your trust expenses. And wills are public. And so anyone who is named in your will, your children, your beneficiaries, your guardians, all of their information is published with the will. And so you have people who check court records and they send scams and they do all kinds of things. Ah, gross. It's awful. <laughs> and so awful. trust, and the reason we talk about the size of that estate, right, is because probate costs usually come out to some percentage of the estate. And so we want to make sure that not only is the trust the right thing to manage your assets through your kids' early adulthood, but that it's not, that it is most cost effective versus a will. And when you get to those bigger numbers, that's when you have that money lasting longer. And it's when paying the upfront cost of the trust, which can be anywhere. If you do it through trust and will, it's like $400. Um, but if you do it through another serve, if you do it through a lawyer, it might be $2,500, right? So it kind of fits in there. And so you want to start with the will mostly because you want to have those guardians for your kids in place um, and you want to have the basics in place. If you're getting to the point where you have more assets and you want to trust, then you go set that up. That is a time-consuming process, no matter who you do it through. Um, having that conversation with a lawyer, that's going to take time and all of those things. But even when you use a service like Trust and Will, you have to change the names on all of your accounts and all of your assets to be an ownership of the trust. So your trust will be issued an EIN number. It will have its own tax ID. And so everything has to be in the trust's name. If you don't fund the trust, if you don't move anything, you paid to set it up, but it's just an empty vessel. And so all the assets that weren't named into the trust are still going to have to go through probate and you're going to have like defeated the whole purpose, which happens far too often. And so the trusts are a time consuming process, but you really want to start with that will. You want to make sure your beneficiaries are named out, that your kids' guardians are named out. Um, We've already been talking this for a while. Uh, do we want to talk for a quick second about what happens if you don't name your guardians? Because this is something that yeah, I think, okay. absolutely. Yeah. People think all the time. I told my sister that if something ever happened to us, I would really want her to have the kids. And mm -hmm. like, that'll be fine. Like they'll, she'll claim that and that'll be fine. She'll end up with the kids. Everybody lives happily ever after. That's not how it happens. And so what happens is it goes to family court. Um, and family court decides who takes your children. And so there will be basically an open call. Anyone who wants custody of the kids oh, in the family, Lord. friends, uh, can, I think my heart just stopped. Can, can go claim. This process can take six months to a year, depending on the state that you live in. Um, and they will look at things like everyone who submits their financial background and their stability, the, the court's definition of their stability. And so the example that we talk about a lot is like, okay, you've got two siblings, one of which you are have the same values on you really want that person to be with your kid and then you have this other sibling that you're fine but like you just have really different styles and opinions right 
And then, but your sibling that you don't have as many agreements with is more financially stable and lives closer to you. The court is going to give your kids to that person every single time. And so when you have, when you have laid out that you've named that person as the guardian, you've set up a trust or you've named your life insurance policy with a beneficiary to that person that you want it to go with. So they have financial means they will choose that person, right? It's still going to go to family court, but it's a much faster process when the parent has picked somebody and that person is aware and wants the kids. If both of those things happen, that process is quick. The court approves the person and we move on. But we, it, it's a very difficult process. And so this actually happened um, to a neighbor of ours several years ago. Um, the mother, it was a single mom. The dad hadn't been in the picture since the kid was born. She had a, she was a, a um, a military vet. She passed away. Uh, her daughter was two and a half and her dad came and claimed custody. Uh, he had his own instability issues and things. But the other thing that takes priority is, is closeness of family member, right? And so her grandparents, uh, the daughter's grandparents, wanted her and she was used to them. She'd been with them since her mother died. Uh, but it was an eight month battle to get them to have custody. Um, and they had to, you know, hire a PI and show that he was, it's just a lot of stuff that happened there. And so you really want to make sure naming guardians, you don't even really have to complete your will to do that. You can name a guardian. So trust and will, I think it's $39. You can go and fill out like it takes less than 10 minutes and just name your guardians. Um, the last thing I'll say is if it's, if the reason you haven't named guardians is because you and your spouse don't agree, you each have to name guardians separately. Like you're going to do that anyway. It sounds crazy, but like if you can't agree, just name different just people. Name people. Just name yeah. different people, and it's going to be last man standing. And you want something on paper because you don't want your kids to have to go through all that uncertainty, talk to social service workers, do all those kind of things if they don't have to. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's horrifying. It, it's really sad. It's really That's sad. so, so sad. So it does remind me of a question I wanted to ask you, which was about the type of scenarios that people are in, women in, men in, when they come to you. I'm assuming you've seen, you see a wide variety, but I'm curious, is it always the worst case scenario or somewhere in between? Like, what does that look like? So our biggest definition we talk to people, oh, so do you mean, I'm going to talk about smart money mamas for a whole here for a second. Yeah. yeah. Emergency yeah. binders, we get people in all walks of life, all situations. We have people that have just become adults that realize they need to start organizing some of these things because they're in their own house for the first time. And then we have people that are 80 and they're like, crap, I don't have anything organized, right? So that's a whole different picture. Smart money mamas, the way we talk about it a lot is we get women in transition. So I just had a baby. My baby just went to school and I have way more time than I thought. I want to go back in the workforce. I'm an empty nester or I just got divorced. And this is what we hear all the time, right? These are, there are things that are changing or I want them to change. I'm not happy with the way things are and I need to get my crap together. New moms, super popular time, right? We're living that early adulthood. We kind of know we have to manage our money, but maybe we're not doing the best job. And then, oh crap, I'm responsible for another human being. <laughs> I gotta get this together. And so we do a lot of that. We do a lot of um, people in divorce or who really just want to make a big career change. And they're like, how do I do this? How do I start my business? How do I save an, up enough to be able to make a leap to do something else? And so that's, we always talk about it as women in transition are our biggest audience. So let's talk, I want to talk about the divorced women because, and this is a funny, weird reason. My daughter is three years old. So I run a business. I started a business, run a business half for five years. I run it with my husband. I've always managed our finances, run a team, an independent female 
being. And my three-year-old daughter, she's three, so we'll, we'll, we'll laugh about this, but I'm also really proud of her. She wants to have five babies. Okay. Okay. And, um, and I said, well, one day, you know, you, what are you going to do to make money? Cause I, you need to be able to make money. Like mommy makes money. And she said, you're going to make the money and I'm going to watch the babies. <laughs> and she's really hilariously like adamant about this. that She will not be working. She will have her she's going to be and having I'm like, babies. Respect a hundred percent respect. Cause five babies. Okay. So joking aside, cause she's three and she'll probably end up being the next president, first female president. Hope there's one before then, but oh, uh, maybe the second. <laughs> so my question is, um, what do you, what would you say to women who both want, let, let's just like put workers aside for a second. Say, you know, you're not going to work. Cause that's, you know, that, I mean, being a full-time mom is a lot of work and I feel like I thought we can have, we can talk about this offline or one day, but you know, it, there's so much pressure on women to keep working, keep having the babies, like breastfeed, do all the things. But for those women who are like my three-year-old daughter and are like, mm, that's crazy. Like, why would you ever ask that of me? Um, <laughs> what would you tell them to do to have a handle on finances too? Or what else, whatever else comes to mind for you. So I have a super interesting perspective on this because my husband is a stay-at-home dad. Um, and I am the daughter of a mother who was a stay-at-home mom for 20 years and got divorced um, quickly and unexpectedly and didn't have a college degree, hadn't worked for 20 years and was pretty stuck. And we're going to just for a second here, just brag on her because that was eight years ago. She now runs a half a million dollar business consulting business and she's amazing. And I'm so proud of her and just fantastic. But when we were getting married, I made 10x what my husband made, right? And it was actually really funny. The first time the idea of it be, any, him being a stay-at-home parent came up was actually from my father-in-law. And so he had read this article in the New York Times about how highly successful women typically have a husband that has taken a step back. And because of the way that we expect workers to work, being full-time parents and full-time at the job and all the things, there needs to be somebody, whether you hire that somebody or you're married to that somebody that's backing it up, right? And so he came over. I was home alone. He comes over. We lived at this point like 15 minutes from my in-laws. He comes over with this article. He walks in the house. <laughs> like, intervention like, time. I just read this. I think Jeremiah would be a great stay-at-home dad. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> what is going on? I don't think we were engaged yet, if I'm remembering the time yet. Like, we were just dating it was hilarious. And so Jay came home. I was like, you will never believe the conversation I had with your dad today. And he was like, would that be an option? And I was like, <laughs> He's like, that's a great idea. I was like, how many conversations have we had about, I make 10x what you make. Yes. Like if you want to stay home, it's an option. I'm not a huge fan of it. And he was like, well, why not? Like all the reasons dad was saying like makes sense. And I was like, look at my mom. <laughs> She's completely stuck. And so I had a lot of fear about it. And we had really intense conversations. And what we ended up doing, I think, is something to think about for any person who wants to be a stay-at-home parent. And the first thing we did is made sure that he was going to remain employable. And so he got his master's degree um, in construction engineering and project management, um, He, which he did online while he was still working. He used to be a yacht captain, so very large. I want to talk about that later. It's the coolest. Crazy story. Uh, he's <laughs> a very interesting career background. But yeah. So you have to have a very high level license to do that kind of work. And so we have maintained that license. Um, we have made sure that he's gotten his boat hours to do, maintain that license so that if something happened to me, he would be employable or 
and this is a conversation that's hard to have, right? Especially when you're early in your marriage or, you know, everything is blissful and happy and you're expecting your first baby. If you don't want to be with the person you married anymore as the stay at home partner, you do not want to be stuck there out of, you don't have another choice, right? Like, and so that was a conversation I had with him of, I never want you to be here because you have to be here. And so I want you to have an option. And so we did those things for his career. We've kind of kept his foot in the door. He updates his resume um, every couple of years and kind of just sends it out. And it's like, hey, does this still look good or whatever? And so there are some things we want to keep our foot in the door. So that's a big thing with employment. And this could be for, for a stay-at-home mom, this could be a side hustle. This could be five hours a week. I don't like have one freelance client or, or something like that. That's just enough to keep going or at least, you know, kind of maintain a network. The second part is being heavily involved in the money. And so you can be, as the stay-at-home parent, the CFO of your house, right? Typically, as a stay-at-home parent, you're the one actually spending the most money. You're the one grocery shopping. You're the one buying the kids' clothes. You're the one doing all those things. And so when you are the one who takes a handle on the budget and takes a handle on, on how are we saving and what are we saving for, you get that deep understanding of the current situation and the future situation because it's very common, especially among women, that we do manage the budget. Over two-thirds of heterosexual couples, the woman manages the budget, but a very, very small percentage takes any control of the investing or understanding of the investing. And so you want to have both sides of that, right? You want to have a picture because you need to know what's happening. If something happened to your spouse, if you got divorced, or your spouse might not quite know what they're doing. And so I have a friend of mine that runs a large mortgage underwriting business. And she and I have the most interesting conversation. She said the things that continue to shock her are almost without fail. Um, the woman is always the one filling out the mortgage paperwork. And ma the majority of the time, she understates how much she makes and overstates how much her husband makes. When they actually get the pay stubs in, she's like, you know, this is wrong, right? Wow. That just gave me pills. They don't even know how much money it they make. It makes me so angry. Well, actually, there's like a f fidelity study from a few years ago that like most people can't name how much their spouse makes within $8,000. Wow. These are conversations that we have, right? Yeah, yeah. And when you think about the fact that the median income in the U.S. for a family is $56,000, $8,000 is a big swing. A big yeah, swing. yeah. And so they can't, so sh they always overstay. Um, and then the sad part is how often she has to have conversations with women that fill out this paperwork that their husband was managing the money, they were managing the investments, and they didn't do what they said they were doing. And so she fills out what she thinks the assets are and the paperwork comes in. And my friend's got to call and be like, sweetie, you don't have these assets or your credit score is terrible. Your husband's credit score is terrible and I can't underwrite you a mortgage. And they have to kind of start from the beginning. And so you want to stay involved and not necessarily like we're not trying to think that they're intentionally doing something cruel. It's just that none of us are educated about this, except as a society we expect, and this is so much pressure on men too. Like there's, there's obviously a lot of BS we could talk about on women and money, but there's some BS involved with men are just expected to know how this works. And so they continue to act like they know how yeah. it works, even when they're completely confused. Right. And so, um, you just want to be involved. And so those are the big things is being involved and have your foot in the door, um, just for safety sake and for options. The last thing I'll touch on, cause I, I tend to get long winded on this topic is is financial abuse. And this is a tough one, right? Um, a lot of people don't aren't aware of what financial abuse is. We're getting, we're hearing more and more about it, but over 90, 99% of physical abuse cases started with financial abuse. Um, when you think about any kind of abuse, physical, emotional, financial, it's about limiting someone's autonomy and their 
and challenging their way of thought. And so when you restrict someone's financial um, autonomy, right, it is very difficult to leave a bad situation. It is very difficult to trust yourself. We really damage that money mindset and that sense of self-worth. And so, and it can happen so slowly. I think this is another reason that you need to be involved, right? And so we, we dealt with a woman about two years ago, and we've dealt with a lot of these women, but we dealt with a woman about two years ago who reached out and said, hey, like, I was a nurse, like I was an RN. We had our first baby. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom for the first couple years, right? I wanted to get her to preschool, and like, then I was going to go back to, to work. My husband was on board. And the baby turned one and I was missing my job, but I brought it up and he shut it down really fast. Like, no, you said you wanted this for our daughter, whatever. And she was like, you know what? You're right. Like I said, I'll stay till she's three. And so whatever, as she got closer to that three-year-old birthday, it caused an argument every time she brought up working. And she's like, he sabotaged some of my interviews, right? Like called and canceled them before I could go to them and things like that. And she's like, and it started to get really worrisome. And then I went to check on our, our uh, bank accounts and he had taken her off a bunch of their bank accounts. And so she didn't have access. And so these are the things that you want to make sure you have a sense of what's going on, that you have that sense of power. This is a place where if you have been the CFO, if you are watching out for what are the red flags, right? Are they overly overbearing about how much you spend and where? Um, do they impact your career, show up unexpectedly, you know, interrupt interviews, things like that? Um, are they taking you off accounts, limiting access? Are they opening credit in your name without your permission, right? Because that happens a lot. And so we need to make sure that no matter how much we love our spouse, no matter how much we want to be a stay-at-home parent, that we are involved enough to protect ourselves. And if you're going to be a parent, to protect your kids. Um, because this is a sad thing that unfortunately happens far too often. Uh, we interviewed somebody from the National Center for Domestic Violence um, about a year and a half ago, and she was saying the number of women who are stuck in physical violence situations because they don't have the financial means to leave, and that means their kids are stuck in that situation. We all want to think that would never happen. Um, but I want you to just take the steps to protect yourself in case. Because uh, when I was at my first job, which is a very large bank on Wall Street uh, in New York, we had a um, managing director woman come speak to the Young Women's Network within the company. She got up and she told the story about how her first husband ended up being physically abusive and how she was there for three years before she left. And she's like, people look at me and they're like, she's Ivy League graduate, graduated mm -hmm. and she did an amazing job. And like, this would never happen. And she's like, they, abusers are good at isolating you and reducing you and making it feel like it's your fault and all those things. And so she's like, just be aware don't judge people who are in these situations. Don't judge people who are stuck and take the steps no matter where you are in life that you're protected. And so that's the kind of, as much as those are the difficult things to think about, those are what we have to think about before we become a stay-at-home parent because it's easy. And my husband was doing it too, right? Of like, this is great. Like you have a better job. You have more vacation time. Like I'll be able to like, when anytime you want to go on a vacation, I won't have to like apply for my two weeks of vacation. Like this is just going to be better. We want to pay for daycare. And that was his big thing. He was like, well, my salary is like just going to cover daycare. <laughs> That's not how this works, though. You have to think about the length of your career um, and all those other kinds of things. And so those are the, the questions I'd ask yourself. And are you comfortable with those risks? And are you protecting yourself from those risks? And then love it. There's nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home parent, obviously. <laughs> it's a hard job. It's a ridiculous job. Uh, but you just want to make sure that you're safe. Yeah, I think that's incredibly helpful. So thank you. Um, I also want to talk, because right now we're not quite in a recession, but who knows, maybe they'll be start calling it what it is any minute now. Um, but what, so all of us have lost money if we're invested in the market. Many people 
the value of your investments have fallen, but you own the same number of shares and units that you did before, you will only lose money if you sell those investments. So let's talk about it that way. Yeah, nobody go uh, jump off the roof yet. So for for those of us who it feels like we've lost a lot of money right now, we're feeling the drama and the heat. It's not fun. And uh, I think most people around, uh, I'm 38, so I, I think even people in my age group haven't lived as an investor through a, a long, prolonged recession. I think that's fair to say. Because um, 2008, you know, it was ugly and it felt bad, but man, oh man, was that that bear market right after that pretty, um, that bull market pretty lovely. So uh, I'd take a 2008 over a 2000 or a 1970 any day, bring it on. Um, but let's just like sit for a second in this pain <laughs> with them, with listeners. Um, and and also, I, so I think there are people who are like, obviously, maybe in VTSAX and um, in a couple individual stocks, and it, it feels yucky, but, you know, we kind of know we can ride it out, even though I don't want 10 years of a 2% yield. I'm not really, doesn't sound fun, but we'll, we'll make it. And then there's others who've like lost a lot of money due to like crypto or some alternative investments. Are you... Feel, are, are people coming to you in these various scenarios right now and going like, what do I do? And if they're not, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, so it's actually really interesting. Um, we plan out our year for our membership um, 12 months in advance. So we always have what's coming up. And so we had planned our 30 days to invest in confidence course for uh, June. So we just finished 30 days to invest in confidence. And this is actually going to be available as a separate course by the end of the summer that anyone could buy, even if you're not in our membership. That's awesome. But doing this as the market is crashing was a really fascinating experience to like talk yeah. to hundreds of women who are like, but is now the time? Right? Like, so much, so much freaking out. Mm -hmm. You're like, it's a great time to invest. Yeah. So, right. And so um, I totally feel the pain. I think the first part is we hear this all the time. Um, we hear a lot of people who are not experienced in the investing are only watching headlines or far more frightening to me is watching TikTok and they're like, I found this, you know, this person says this is the opportunity to this or, you know, all these different things. And so we get lots of questions and a ton of questions about alternatives and crypto um, and, you know, and NFTs and things like that. Of like, is this better, right? Is this better than the stock market and all these things? I think we've seen what happens with crypto, right? As much as the crypto people like to talk about it being disconnected to the markets, not disconnected from the market. And so I think the big thing is to remember what your timeline is. Um, we do live in a really strange period of time where most um, adults or middle-aged people have not lived through, even a lot of us haven't even lived through 2008, right? Like we didn't, we weren't really invested in 2008. So we saw it, but we weren't impacted by it. And that means, and we've seen this like unprecedented 14 year bull market. And so I talk to people who are like, no, I've been single stock investing for five years and I'm doing awesome. And I'm like, okay, but it's really easy to win when the market's going up and even and define win, right? When you actually get those people down to like, okay, can you actually compare your returns to VTS AX? And then they're like, oh crap, I actually underperformed. Not right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And not right now, but I'm saying like even over the past five years, right? And so um, it's going back to what is your timeline? Uh, what are your goals? And if you're in your thirties and you're going to retire, you know, even if you're going to early retire in your fifties, if you've got 20 years, 15, 20 years, you've got to put the head in the sand, right. And keep doing what you're doing. You picked a system for a reason. Um, we have heard all different funny ways that people make sure that they stick to 
when they start to get scared. Oh, I want to uh, hear we have, it. We have yeah. a member of our community who has her friend change her password to her investment account. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so that she awesome. doesn't have access. So she, the automatic monthly deposits still go in, but she Don't does touch not it. touch it. Yes. Um, all, all kinds of things, right? Like the sticky notes on the fridge of like, we're in it for the long term, all the kind of phrases that we have and try to just ride it out. Now, if you're, this is easy to say for someone who is already in a rational kind of index fund managed system, you're going to stick to your system. But if you're somebody, and this is what we are hearing more and more, if you're somebody who has been doing that single stock investing, who's God forbid been doing like options and margin trading, right? Or crypto or alternatives, you might be looking at the way you've been investing and say, I can't ride this out. Like this isn't actually how I think I need to invest for the next 30 years. And how do I make the changes in a down market? And the benefit is what, you know, crypto's down a lot. Um, alternatives are down a lot, but so is the market. And so it's not a terrible time to switch to another asset class. It is going to result, you know, and, and you'll probably take, you're likely in taxable accounts with those kinds of investments. And so when you make that switch, you'll take a loss on those investments. And then that will help you kind of offset it some tax gains in the future because those do carry forward. And so that, that could be a positive, not a positive, but, you know, equaling it out a little bit more. Um, but it, it's coming back to the drawing board and saying, okay, here are the reasons that I chose this method. Do they still hold true? Um, where did I learn about this method? And am I comfortable with the person that was teaching me this method? And then really kind of resetting. And once we reset, don't go to a place of, I'm just not going to invest at all <laughs> and stay out of the market through the downturn, but really pick a better method and make sure you're reinvesting that money so that you take the upswing when we get to the upswing. Um, the hard part about being in a 14-year bull market is we don't know what this downturn is going to look like. Valuations have been valuations have been illogical for, I mean, five, six years, right? We've been hearing, I heard the first, like, we're, we're preparing for the second recession in like late 2011, right? right? Yeah. Like this is every yeah. year. And, and we heard the Fed, right, for the past five, six years say, hey, if we keep keeping interest rates this low, we're going to hit inflation. We're going to hit inflation. We're going to hit inflation. Um, but they were encouraged to keep the rates low and keep the economy moving. And so now we're going to see those the impacts of those things. But from an investing perspective, you really just want to pick a good system. The thing on cryptos and alternatives um, for me is that they're meant to be a very small percentage of your portfolio. Um, and we're talking, you know, zero to five percent ten percent maybe if you have a large enough portfolio that you can withstand a big drop in that money and with crypto specifically um it's a currency right and so when we talk about like if you were building a portfolio if, if crypto didn't exist and you're building a, a portfolio would you be foreign exchange trading like no it's based on interest rates in the global market and like when we talk about Crypto, now we're talking about stroke of the pen risk, which if, for those of you who don't, haven't heard that before, it's stroke of the pen would be if a law was signed into place or a regulation was signed into place that would drastically change the valuation of your market, you have stroke of the pen risk. And so cannabis, crypto, they have things that like we could just completely change the rules and value or devalue everything, right? And so we want to make sure that we are investing and we aren't gambling, we aren't taking untold risk where we can't really put our arms around what the risk is with those kind of alternatives. And so we want them to be a small part of our, our, our portfolio. And I think that we're going to start to see, unfortunately, um, a lot of people who don't have them uh, can't afford to lose money are going to lose money in the next six to six months to a year or two, depending on how long this lasts. Um, and that's a sad thing. I mean, I think that, you know, we've watched, at least for me, I've watched courses, you know, online courses come out from people who aren't necessarily 
financially trained talking about how to trade margin in Robinhood accounts and how to individually stock pick. And yeah, it looked fine for a little while, um, but you really want to rethink like, what is my long-term strategy and what feels really like it's going to help me build wealth in the way that I want to build wealth? Because that's important too, right? Um, if you're somebody who's like, I don't want to invest in VTSAX because I don't want to be investing in guns and violent video games or whatever your thing is, there are things we can talk about, right? There's socially responsible investing, which has its issues. And um, and there's is educating yourself about how that looks and then deciding, is there a different alternative, right? Is there, I'm going to hold my nose and just do the total stock market index, but I'm going to put a little bit more money towards, towards charitable organizations that matter to me, right? It's really just having those thoughtful discussions about how do you want your money to work for you and how do you want your money to grow to you and how can you make it so that you don't feel like you're going to throw up every yep. other year when the market like, yeah. um, does something crazy. Yeah. So if somebody found themselves in a situation where they did lose a lot of money in crypto or something else, is that a good time to call you up and be like, let's chat? Or would you say, like, do your research? Like, what what would you say to somebody in that? So I don't do individual one-on-one coaching. Um, it's a great time to join our membership. Um, I'm very hands-on in the membership. And so I'm in that group kind of every day answering questions. And we do monthly Q&As and we do live masterclasses and things like that. But the reason it's a good time to join that is because there's a lot of shame and fear that's associated with that. And so signing, like what I would probably tell you is like, let's take a minute, let's take a month and kind of put your investments to the side, like try not to think about it. And I want you to go through our mindset course and I want you to figure out because that's going to help you see what made me make these investments in the first place. What do I actually want? Um, what do I think I'm capable of? And then we can talk about what's next. And then what would really be next is taking 30 days to invest in confidence, right? Like, let's give you a true understanding of how the market works, why we see ups and downs, and let you create a system that works better for you. And then I'm there to answer questions. Is it likely what we would do with people? Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a minute about the emotional side of this, because just like it's 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 part of the journey I've found, I can just speak for myself personally, and then some of the folks that we've talked to recently about like getting out of debt, it's part of every single journey, no matter where you sign. Like even... I'd consider us like financially stable. Like we've reached Coast Five. Like we have a bright future ahead, knock on wood. Um, but it's still emotional. And I still have my personal struggles. And so does my husband. And I, I think they're fun personally. But that's, that's, you're at the point where they're fun. Right? Th- that's right. That's right. And I, and there's a lot of um, luck involved in that too, you know? Um, so, but what I want to ask is like, where does that, what do you see and where, so if somebody was like to take a step back, I, don't, I guess what I want to ask really is like, what is the emotional side of it? Like, how would you describe it to somebody who's like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't have emotional issues with money. Like, well, there's an emotional pull with everything in our lives, but yeah, tell us about that. Okay. So money is involved with everything that we do. Everything where we live, what we eat, where our kids go to school, where our kids go to daycare, everything we do. And that means that the money isn't really about the money. And so we get people all the time who come to us and like, I have tried five different budgeting apps and journals and I can't do it. And it doesn't seem like it should be this hard. What's going on? It's like, it's not a structural thing. Like you can do addition and subtraction. I have full confidence in you. Yes, That's not the problem. And so I'm assuming you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. Okay. So we'll talk about, there's actually a, a pinned thing in our Instagram about, the money hierarchy of needs. And we talk about how each of those five levels is really tied to a money level. And so let's start all the way. Uh, and it's actually a really great way to talk about privilege too. And we'll talk about that. Yes. Next. But yes. we start at the bottom, right? With physiological needs. Can you feed yourself? Do you have a safe place to live? Do you have appropriate clothing? That is a money issue. And we live in a capitalist society. And so if you don't have those things, 
I'm sorry, I can't you telling you how to make more money, telling you how to chase your passion or pursue financial independence. You're just trying to feed your family, right? Like you're like, yeah, yeah. All that sounds really important. Like I can't do that right now. I am in constant stress and fear around money. That doesn't leave, if you've ever lived at that period, that does not leave you unless you go back and you heal that work, right? And this is where you have to be ready to work with us. Like this is like one of those yeah. things where some people are like, yeah, that sounds really hard. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie to you. People start, they go through our mindset course and like without fail, I'd say 80% of them at some point post in the group and are like, okay, I've been in tears for 10 minutes. Like I had no idea. Like I, I've uncovered this memory that I had no idea that, and then it's better, right? Like, but you have to go through that mean moment of hard. And so if you've ever had that, it's going to tie forward. The next step up in Maslow's hierarchy and the money hierarchy is safety. And so we talk about financial safety. We're talking about, are you not living paycheck to paycheck? Are you out of high interest debt? Do you have an emergency fund? Do you feel like you have a stable place to live? Not only a place to live, but somewhere that like your landlord's not threatening to sell the building every three months. Like, are you safe and secure? When we move on beyond that level, right? And that's where a lot of people are. That's where a lot of Americans are, where we're really trying to just build that sense of safety. And so we get people, and these are people that earn all different levels of income, right? Because spending issues do not necessarily, money issues not necessarily tied to income, who are like, I make enough money. Like, why am I still so stressed about it? And we're like, well, okay, well, here's all the reasons that your safety boxes aren't checked. Like, yes, the money is there, but you don't have a foundation that allows you to feel safe and secure. Um, we also uncover some really interesting issues and mindset issues when we come up to this section because we'll have people... Uh, my favorite example all the time is people who are like, I can't cut my grocery budget, right? Like I have read, everyone says that's where to start and that's where the most money is, but I try and I last for a week and then I go and buy this huge grocery shop and you start to dig in and that person either had food insecurity when they were younger. And we had a lot of siblings that ate dinner at the table really fast and they never felt like they really got enough food. And so while that's they interesting. Save money, yeah. they want to make sure that there is always enough food in their house. And it's it's not conscious most of the time, right? But they're like, I can't look at my fridge and have empty space. Even if it's enough food for us to eat, like there's a part of my brain that's like, whoa, we're going to go hungry. And so they stuff it up. And so, and, and so what we talk about is not necessarily starting with your grocery budget, if that's where you are. We want to get there, but let's not cause like undue difficulty. Let's get you some quick wins in a place that aren't going to cause you as much trauma. And then when you have a better foundation, then let's work on this other thing, right? And so safety and security. But we move beyond that, right, to love and belonging. Love and belonging is a funny one when we come with money. But what I talk about all the time is like, do you feel like you're worthy of wealth? Do you have the time and space and money to invest in your relationships, um, to go on date nights with your spouse, to go on vacation with your family, to, you know, have a night out with your friends? Do you have that space to really build relationships? Because often when we're at those two lower levels, especially the bottom one, we're working like crazy, we're super stressed, and it does damage our relationship, right? And you go beyond that, and we really start to talk about that's when we're talking about real self-actualization, right? And so we talk that we call the next level. Um, um, work flexibility. So necessarily financially independent. Yeah, that's, yeah, that makes sense. But if you have a boss that is mean to you or that you don't feel like you're valued, you can walk away, right? Self-actualization is really financial independence. Are you working because you want to work your best work? And so as we build that up, these are all emotional things. Maslow's is not about, you know, dollars and cents in some black and white thing. It's about how do we feel as a person and our capability to reach our best selves. And so when you look at money that way, you see that there are places in your life, even if you had a very stable upbringing, that you developed relationships with money 
that don't necessarily that aren't necessarily true or don't tie with the rest of your personality. And those stories have been running in your brain for a really long time. We talk about the fact that research shows core money beliefs start to be set around age seven. You didn't have any context for things when you were seven. You heard your parents say something or have an argument or somebody in the store say something, and you made an assumption about how that worked in the world because we're all looking for stability. So we're taking time and making big assumptions. And then we let that big assumption just run in the background and we looked for proof of it and we looked for proof of it. And now we have to work on it. And so um, real quick, because I know we're, we're out of time, but my, my story, so we talked, one of the things we'll work through in the mindset courses is coming up with your first money memory. It was the first time you remember really thinking and talking about money. And so for me, uh, the first thing I really wanted to save for that was expensive was this purple Game Boy, right? I wanted a Game Boy. I wanted to play Pokemon with Game Boy. I saved up for it. it. Took me a long time. We got to the store and I am a natural security seeker, which there's like spender saver. Security seeker is really just, I want to make sure I always have what I need. Um, savers will save until they, you know, for what they need. And then they will buy the thing that they want. Security seekers have a much more difficult time with that because, oh my God, what if I need that money tomorrow? And so I'm, I was I'm right there with you. <laughs> and yeah. I, we walk into the, the GameStop and I burst into tears. And my Aww. dad is like, what is going on? And I was like, I don't know. It took me so long to save this money. Like, what if I don't like the Game Boy? I, like, what if I don't want it? And whatever. Aww. And I was like, I, and then I, so I did the thing and I was like, I, so I don't think I'm going to get it. Yeah. And there were a lot of choices my dad could have made in that moment. And I'm not shaming him in, or, or blaming him in any way. He was dealing with his own money mindset issues, which is that he is a massive spender and someone who idolizes well. So he got down on my level and he said, I am so proud of you. Oh, wow. This is going to serve you so well. Yeah. You're going to build so much wealth. And then next time he saw me, he, he saw his friends, he told them the story about how I He's did so proud of me. you. Yeah. He was proud of me. And so to yeah. me. And you're like, time, this is a good thing. Reestablished it. It took me until my early 20s to figure out why. Because even when I was working on Wall Street, right, like it, it was the biggest breakthrough moment that I really started to work on this was I got my first Wall Street bonus. And I wanted a bike because I was biking with my friends a lot. And I walked into the bike store and the same thing happened. My eyes started to well up. And this time I was with my mom, who has a very different money relationship. And she was like, can we talk about what's going on here? Like you have more than enough money to yeah. buy a freaking bicycle. Yep. What is what is holding you back? And it took from that point a couple of years to really work through money as a means to an end, not an end in itself. And that I had built this relationship that my bank account and my net worth was equal to my self-worth and my worthiness of love and belonging. And that took a long time to unravel. And so I, I, I tell this story, one, because I want you to just give you an idea of what these things can be and that they might not be immediately apparent, but also because these aren't just for people who are spenders, right? These aren't just for people who are the way we think about being bad with money. You might have, you might be well on the way to FI, but why did you sign up for FI? Like, what are you getting? Like, what are you thinking this makes you as a person to pursue FI? And are, is there a reason, like, are, is there a reason you're going so fast? Is there a reason that this lifestyle is attractive for you? We really want to work on those mindset things because money is emotional. It ties to, like I said, everything that we do. Yeah. Um, just to reiterate it, we were speaking with somebody the other day who had gotten out of debt and it was a massive amount of debt. And um, Katie Heyer, she's a great episode coming up. Um, and it was, she felt so free. And honestly, she spoke about this freedom in a way that I can't relate to. And I was like, I mean, if that's not a wake-up call, I don't know what is. You know, there's no reason I shouldn't feel free. 
But I still struggle with it. And I'm happy to say that because I'm proud of what we have. But I also want to be honest, you know, like we do still have like, you know, challenges and journeys to go on. And and it's part of it. It also is, it's to me, it's what makes money interesting and enriching. So yeah. And there are people that get out of debt, right? And they're like your your other guests, right? They feel free and they're never gonna go back to debt and they feel amazing. But there are other people who get in that debt cycle, right? We got all the way out of debt and now we're back in debt and we got all the way out mm-hmm. of debt. And often that's a mindset thing too, because what happens when we're fighting debt, especially with a partner, if you if you and your partner are both on board, you are fighting this big, scary monster together. You have a purpose, there's a reason to save money, you're doing it, and then you pay it off and then you have all this extra money every month and you're like, what am I gonna do? And you fall back into hold habits because the goal wasn't what you actually want your life to look like. The goal was to get out of debt because you've heard certain gurus tell you forever, debt is dumb, get out of debt, get out of debt. And so you get out of debt and you're like, well, then what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now what? And so yeah. no matter what journey you're on, I think really paying attention to what are the emotions that come up with you around all different areas of money is just an important thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been amazing. I know we've kept you a little over an hour. So this was, I mean, I was so excited to talk with you anyways. I think you're such a bright light and such an incredible resource for women and men too. So thank you for all that you're doing. It's incredibly exciting and we're, we're lucky to have you. I was so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So for anybody listening, where would you send them to make sure that they don't miss all of your resources? Uh, so if you go to smartmoneymamas.com, you'll find pretty much everything linked from there. We are at Smart Money Mamas on all social platforms, both TikTok and Instagram the most. Um, and then if you want to check out the Emergency Binder, that's also linked from Smart Money Mamas, but that's emergencybinders.com. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Have a wonderful day. That is it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to Instagram and follow us if you do the social thing at Pitchwire. And for fresh episodes of the Pitchcast, head to pitchwirestudio.com. Thank you.